Okay, uh, BP Academy Apologetics, week eight. Dale, you want to open us up in prayer? Father, um, thank you again for this time to just together together to learn how to be more effective as we listen to other people's viewpoints that have totally excluded you. Mm. And Lord, help us learn how to ask questions to get them to maybe rethink or even think for the first time what, what those views lead them. Um, Lord, I ask that you give Dustin wisdom as he directs the conversation this morning and may we ultimately leave this place um, being more effective witnesses for you. Amen. Thank you, brother. First uh, Peter 3.15, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And then our, uh, our theme quote from Greg Kugel, Christianity is a reasonable and rational worldview that resonates with our deepest intuitions about reality when understood in its proper context. Alright, so the, uh, the Rhodes Scholar review. Uh, we don't really have to follow the outline, I guess. What do y'all remember? Is there a number, like if the class drops below a certain level, you could just do whatever you want and kind of surf it? I think we're there. Whatever that criteria. board games in my car. You got what? I got board games in my car. We could do that, too. The class for me when I was in school was five minutes late and it's a freebie. Five minutes late and it's a freebie. All right, so the Rhodes Scholar tactic uh, provided a way of assessing whether an appeal to authority was legitimate or not. And we spent a lot of time, um, or not, I don't know, a lot of time, but we, uh, we, we went back and we retraced what an argument is. Um, and there was a simple illustration. What was it? It was like a house. Right? And what... The walls and the roof, right? So the, the roof is the, the reason or the position or basically where you've arrived. Um, but the, the walls are, are, I'm sorry, it's it's the conclusion. The roof is the conclusion, not the reason. Um, but but the walls are the reasons that hold up the conclusion. So I, I believe X for these reasons. Um, so, go ahead. It was, it was just really funny because last week, right after we talked about this, I went to the church and uh, talked about we were just joking around, and, and he has a way of saying something stupid by saying it's gay. He's like, oh, that's gay. It just means it's stupid. He's so like, CrossFit is gay. I'm like, you're making an assertion with no supporting arguments. <laughs> and it's like direct application right away, and he had no support here. <laughs> oh, but. Because he said something that was way out there, but I prove it to you. Uh, your show your arguments. Um, I, uh, I wasn't sure where that was going to go. Right? <laughs> So uh, when when it means happy. right right right, uh, but I didn't. I thought the issue was going to be having used that word or term. Um, That's why I wanted to like. But but you were just like, well, no 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 no. You you were defending CrossFit, not the not his ill use of the term. It was a bit of both. I mean, because I said gay means this, and you're clearly not using it that way. So what do you mean by that? And how do you get to where? Ugh. Yeah, because I, I mean, I guess CrossFit doesn't have a uh, it, it doesn't have a uh, a claimed uh, sexual orientation, does it? So um, it's more of just attacking his the fact that he made an assertion without any supporting arguments. Yeah, because like, is CrossFit allowed to hook up with aerobics, and that would be okay? But <laughs> I don't. <laughs> 
sorry. You did it. You brought the example up. I didn't. Right away, somebody made an assertion. It's like, all right. All right. So fine. Let's let's get that back on the rails. What what is what is a what is an assertion? It's a fact made without any supporting evidence. All right. And then when we were when we were doing it within the context of Road Scholar, we were basically making it saying it was synonymous with. Information, right? When somebody when somebody makes an assertion, um, they're they're just giving you information. It may or may not be true, um, but but they haven't given any any reasons, right? So that's what an argument is. It's, it's a coherent se a series of reasons, and it, it it's the walls of that that house. It's trying to establish the point of point of view. So an argument is more along the lines of education, where an, an assertion is more along the lines of of information. So. Um, what was uh, within that ring or arena right there? Why, why, why is it so important to make that distinction between an assertion and an argument? Why, why do you want to make sure that you're engaging one and not the other? Why bother? Why discern? Because before you move on on a certain basis of a fact that they made, you want to confirm with them and have them confirm that's logically supported instead of just saying something. And Oh, but we're going to go with what you just said. Say, so make a claim, prove it, and then you can move forward and build on that. Yeah, the only thing that can constructively be discussed are the reasons. Like, okay, I understand what you're saying you believe, but the conversation is going to live in the space of why you believe it. So you need those reasons, not just those opinions or feelings or assertions on the table. You need the reasons so that you can engage them and decide, do they actually support that proof or, or not? Um, so anyways, assertion versus argument. And then there was, a, there was a sleight of hand that we were saying to be very, very aware of. And I think this one's pretty important. But, but we were talking about the two definitions of science. The science as a methodology, which you know, we're all pretty familiar with, basically the scientific method. Uh, but but you know, observation, experimentation, testing, et cetera. But, but the other definition was science as a philosophy. Now, can anybody tell us why that matters and what they'll try to do to us? Uh, specifically with, say, um, uh, naturalism or, or evolution, or you know, what, which would be a subcategory. But, anyways, how how will they how will they rule out, say, intelligent design? Yeah, science is going to say that it has to have a. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, because uh, people will say, well, intelligent design isn't actually science because there's nothing really observable or repeatable or whatever. But then you might raise the argument, well, we're using the same tools that, that evolutionary biologists use, so why aren't they excluded? Oh, okay, well, fair point. Uh, but it's still not science because of the conclusion, right? That's where the sleight of hand comes in. They'll, they'll rule them out on the, the conclusion because... To your point, um, it, it, the, the philosophy is, is that everything must have a natural explanation. So if you infer the data and, and say my conclusion is that there must be a designer out there, it sure seems that way. That's where the data points to me using the same tools that the, the evolutionary folks are using. Then they say, oh, well, you just invoked, you just tried to play the God card. That's a supernatural component. Therefore, it, it, it violates the, the rule of, of the, um, you know, the science as a philosophy, and it's out. 
So they'll they'll they'll, they'll corner you one way or or the other. So anyways, just be be on guard for that. Um, it's not it's not that the especially there's been a mountain of data on intelligent design over the last couple of decades, but. It isn't that it isn't scientific, and um, it, it isn't that their that their findings aren't uh, rational or reasonable. Um, they, the problem is is that they just arrive at a different conclusion, and they're scientists that are every bit as smart and, and land on the intelligent design side. Um, so it's it's what they do with the data. It's it's the conclusion they arrive at, or or, or how they in, infer um, their their findings, so to speak. All right. So does somebody say something? Oh, I was watching. Right, science sits on the throne, and they're not willing to to remove it or dethrone it. It's it is. It's yeah. You gotta stay. You gotta stick with your uh, with your your convictions or presuppositions. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's see if this comes up for us. Oh, is that link not wanting to? Hey, Blaze, you want to see if you can get this to come up? What am I trying to do? Get the screen on. Uh, or what I have on, get on, what I have on my screen to come up there. Uh, probably the input might be what you want to look at. There we go. You got it? So you gonna play? Come on, 
Dragnet. All right, so about as far back as I go is actually Columbo. I'm a pretty big Columbo fan. Uh, but I was not uh, I was not watching episodes of Dragnet growing up. So uh, is anybody here familiar with the show? Do you, do you remember it watching it growing up? Some of the hands go up. All right, so what 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 do you or or, or did you remember or like about it? He didn't put up with any mess. It's just the facts, man. Did he remind you of somebody you know? No. No? In the mirror, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Yes or no? <laughs> uh, Mike? What she said was good. Uh, they, were, they were sent out to deal with issues, uh, but they only wanted to deal with the facts. They didn't really care what you felt or how you perceived it, but they wanted the facts in order to uh, come to a conclusion. Yep. Uh, the two famous lines, uh, the, the names have been changed to protect the innocent and just the facts, ma'am. And I was digging into that. I was trying to find a little clip of saying just the facts. The internet says that's not actually the exact quote, but that's what pop culture is committed to its, its memory. And that's the way they did it in the remake with, uh, was it Tom Cruise and uh, the guy from, or not Tom Cruise, but uh, was it Tom Hanks and the guy from... Ghostbusters. There was a remake at one point. I don't know if it was in the 70s or 80s or whatever. There was a Dragnet movie that they did, and I think they used the "just the facts, ma'am" quote in in that. But uh, anyways, whatever. It's it's attributed to uh, to Detective Joe Friday. Um, yeah, and as Mike said, he's only interested in the facts, and that's kind of what this tactic is about. Just the facts, ma'am. So um, it's it's an easy to use tactic. I um, uh, well. It's an accessible tactic, tactic uh, because I, I think this, this point about facts and, and having them uh, available to you is, is important. Now, we all have you know, supercomputers in our pocket, and, and that helps. You can do a lot on the fly. So, you know, it, it, is, it is pretty straightforward in the sense that you don't have to be a true Rhodes Scholar, you know, um, uh, pun intended, but, but you, um, you do need to be able to think something through in a linear fashion and, and look for, for certain things that maybe aren't consistent with the way the information is being presented, but, but you don't have to know everything. And this idea here is kind of why I was so torn on this conversational sort of approach to this class or more of the classical approach of, of picking apart some of the bigger arguments against God or, or Christianity is it's like, well, if we train up on how to, how to navigate the conversations, but we don't we haven't spent any time really studying what the answers from Christianity side of the desk's desk is or are. Well, I you know I I don't know, but but in any event, um, it, it's still a, a pretty easy to use tactic, and it doesn't you don't have to be incredibly clever. You don't have to have any. You don't have to outwit or outsmart. Uh, there's just there's just two basic ingredients, um, and it's awareness and facts. That's, that's it. So first, the, the awareness that, that many challenges to Christianity are based on bad information. Now, that I'm slightly uncomfortable. Just It's just a really big blanket to cast. However, I'm comfortable saying it because I've engaged in enough conversations with, with skeptics and atheists, agnostics, etc., uh, to know that it, at least from a feels-like standpoint, 
it feels like they just make a lot of stuff up. It's like, where did you get that from? Like, you just, you just made that up. Um, but there's access to so much information, who knows where they heard it or what soundbite they got it from or what somebody may have actually been saying relative to what they, they heard. So does anybody have just any personal testimony of, of something bizarre that you've, uh, you, you've encountered in terms of talking with a non-believer? Anything that they've accused Christianity of or, or just invented or made up or grossly misquoted to try to advance a point? What would you say to him? You know, I didn't really have an answer. I wish I wish he had said it now. Because mm. I've heard that a lot enough to um, halfway believe it. Yeah. It is something you hear a lot, and we're gonna we're gonna pick it apart a little bit. Uh, he does a real good job of it in the book, but yeah, it is something that's uh, uh, lobbed against Christianity quite a bit. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a maneuver or I don't a maneuver tactic response whatever in political conversations that I'll use a lot because uh, people are so emotional about it, and I'm really just kind of interested in the policy, but I'm rarely interested enough to actually read the policy. Uh, you know, I, I do on occasion. Um, I certainly try to watch the speeches that everybody's talking about and so on and so forth, but people will get on these tangents, and I'm like, oh, well, what? You know, what policy actually is that? And people are like, uh, uh, uh. And it's like, all right, well, it doesn't sound like either one of us really know what we're talking about, so maybe we should just move on. But, you, you know, you can do something similar in a situation like that. Like, oh, really? Well, like, how so? You know, and just let them state the facts. Get to the walls of the house. He gave you the roof, uh, but, but what's his walls? And chances are, especially a guy like Ron Adams, um, uh, you know, we'll see what he's what he's packing in terms of facts, Julie. I had um, our son one time say that that statement, and I said, "Well, certainly the Crusades are really bloody, but that's not the only bloody war mm -hmm. that went on." And I didn't have facts; I didn't have something to back it up. But I just said, "If you agree with part of their assertion, you can uh, defuse mm -hmm. some tension." I said, yeah, there's been a lot of bad things done for Christianity, you know, like blowing up abortion clinics and, you know, the Crusades, but that, um, that's not the, they're not the only people that have uh, done violent things. That's right. Um, no, no, go ahead. One thing to follow up on that is, yes, Crusades were awful, but we, that's not how Christianity can be, and we can prove that. Look at the Bible. The Bible clearly says that they were wrong. Because they'll also say crusades, Christians are, are terrible people. It's like, no, hold on. People who say they were Christians did that. But mm -hmm. This is what they were supposed to be doing. That's what they said they were doing they won. So yeah. just having that clear line, especially when someone pulls up the crusades, like, yeah, no, that was terrible. And it was terrible a red hair. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't what we were talking about. It was just one of these absurd statements supposed to make him feel intelligent and not really addressing what we were talking about. So I just, I made my quick assertion to that's not necessarily entirely true but then yeah it was for lunch yeah 
Yeah, you guys are you guys are touching on a lot of good stuff. Um, one, I want to pull up uh, or bring to the surface something Julie just said or, or mentioned that she did, which was created common ground. You know, concede or, or create common ground when possible. If it's not going to harm your ultimate point or position, go ahead and give it to them. It diffuses the situation. Uh, it, it may make them more willing to continue to to discuss. Um, something else that danced across my mind as you guys were talking was. You know, remember that you don't you don't have to uh, get everything all nice and tidy in every single conversation. Sometimes just getting the the willingness to carry the conversation on. So you know, like like Dale said, um, uh, or, or uh, I think mentioned, but, but you could say, yeah, you know, I've I've heard that a lot. You know, I've heard that a lot. Um, what what do you mean by that, right? And now you're right back to Colombo. You're so you're. You're conceding that, oh yeah, that's something that gets tossed around a lot. You're not telling them necessarily that they're wrong, but you're you're asking them, you know, what what makes you say that? I've heard that a lot, but what makes you say that? And now the ball is in their court, and they have to provide the walls to the roof. They've got to give the reasons, otherwise they look kind of silly. And and you know, you may you may back off that a little bit by if they can't really answer, then you just say, huh. Nonetheless, that's an interesting thought. Would, would you be all right if I looked into that a little bit? Could we maybe grab a coffee later and, and talk about that some more? And, and a lot of times you'll find uh, there, there's really a willingness to do so there, especially if you just very politely said you're kind of full of it, <laughs> right? Um, they, they might be a little bit more open. So awareness. You want to be aware that many challenges to Christianity are based on bad information. And then the second component or ingredient, if you will, is the actual facts. You do indeed need to know the facts, and you can typically beat the objection if you, if you do know them. But, but keep in mind, as we were saying, you don't always need to know the facts to use the tactic effectively uh, because sometimes you can kind of just spot a wrong answer um, even when you don't know what the right answer is, and, and we'll probably get into that a little bit. So um, knowing the right answer, though, is, is ultimately the central component of, of using the, the just the facts man tactic. So you don't have to be an actual road Scholar, as we were saying, to know the facts. Often the information you need can be accessed via the Internet. So um, what were the two, anybody that read the book uh, or read the chapter, can anybody share kind of the two-step process that he uses for implementing this tactic? First step is identifying the claim, and then the second step is to investigate the facts. So first, you you want to, and, and you were touching on this, James. You, that was another one of the good things that was that was coming out as y'all were kicking that around. First, get a clear fix on exactly what the person is asserting by asking yourself, or even or even your audience, or the person you're talking to, what exactly is the claim being made? Because there's always a bunch of words. But at the end of the day, what's the punch? What is the claim? We, you want to you isolate it because um, it needs to be clear so that you are both basically agreeing on what it is that we're discussing and, and talking about. So assertions are, are often implicit or they can be hidden, buried in semantics or rhetoric, uh, and, and we, we have to be on guard for that. So you, you want to pay careful attention to zero in on, on the exact claim. And, and again, the Colombo tactic can be really really useful there. Like, you don't have to know everything about everything. Your primary objective is to know whatever it is they're thinking and believing. You're, you're literally just becoming a student of their thoughts and ideas. But, but you want to be very discerning as you're doing this and, and you're just trying to get it boiled down. So, I got a few tips here. One, you never want to assume. 
You know, don't, don't assume. Even if they've stated it plainly, and it's pretty clear, get them to acknowledge, yes, that's the claim. So repeat it back. You know, do I, do I have this right? You, you, there's, a, there's a principle that, um, that I'll teach to financial advisors, and it is fools rush in. Right? Fools rush in. You don't... If something is a good idea, it will be a good idea in a couple of weeks from now. Right? You don't have to apply pressure. You don't have to make anybody feel, feel anxious. Uh, don't rush in. You know, I'll, I'll even throw in there, you can discuss a decision, but you can't discuss a decision and make the decision in the same meeting. You've got to have some breathing room. You've got to let everybody think about what's, what's going on there. So don't, don't rush in. It just, it just clouds people's judgment, and it's, it's, it's not helpful. So never make an assumption, and don't just charge ahead like you... Like you know for sure and, and you're just going to tackle the issue. Like, like the mistake I make with my wife all the time. Like, I, you know, oh, I know what's going on here. Let me tell you what you need to do, woman. Um, and then she's like, you're stupid, sit down. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> so don't make assumptions. Ask, clarify, zero in on, on the assertion or the, or the exact claim. Um, know your target and what lies beyond it. This one is uh, this is kind of a gun safety rule or gun safety 101, but but sometimes identifying, getting them to acknowledge or state plainly what their precise claim in is, it can it can expose a, a bigger argument that they're attempting to leverage. And sometimes you want to you want to know where they're trying to to go with this conversation, right? You don't always have to call them out on it, but but being aware and certainly watching out for for straw men arguments. They may be trying to set something up, and uh, if you've done this a while, you, you may see it coming a mile away. You know, they'll, they'll try to get, you know, these smaller agreements from you to, to build up to this bigger gotcha. Uh, they're not always doing that, but, but I'm just adding that extra layer on there. Beyond knowing just what the claim is or, or the target that you're wanting to focus on, know what might be or, or try to, to discern what might be hiding behind that, what, what a bigger motivation might be. And, and don't be in a rush. Um, remember, you don't have to get everybody to the foot of the cross in every conversation. You know, you're, sometimes you're simply planting a, a pebble in their shoe. You just want to give them something that's a little bit of an irritant in their thinking as they continue to chew on whatever you've presented to them. So feel free to take your time and, and isolate the point being made. Take several passes at it if need to, if you need to before moving on so that you're both saying yes we're talking about the remote with the purple buttons on it you know not not the one with the blue button on it you know they're, they're that nuance that, that the semantics the because again sometimes you you, you may get a, a conversation you may have steered it to the point you want and then they just kind of wiggle out of that and they want to go a different direction and raise up a different argument. And it's like, okay, well we can tackle that after we finish talking about the remote with the purple buttons. Then we can talk about the one with the blue buttons. Um, and for, for whoever's listening, um, uh, that random example is because you aren't here and literally right now on the table are, are two remotes. One has a purple button and one has a blue button. So just for, just for the recording. Alright, so an example of step one. And um, this is just taking some from the book. Alright, so uh, here's a claim. Pro-lifers have no right to oppose abortion unless they are willing to care for the children born to the mothers in crisis pregnancies. James just laughed. All right, so first thing, what's, our, what's the first step of this tactic? 
That's right. We want to. We want to. Uh, we want to. Um, we want to know what the what the claim is. So um, we're looking for the assertions here, and and how many are there? Two. Two. All right. The first assertion is a moral fallacy. What what is it? What is it, Julie? All pro life. Right, yeah, which is a moral claim. Like, who are you? If you're not willing to do X, then you have no right to say Y. So it does not follow, though, that if a person objects to killing innocent children, this is why it's a fallacy, they are somehow uh, obliged to care for the survivors or, or those that do survive, the children that survive. So how might we, how might we take the, the roof off of that? Greg, Greg takes the roof off in the book. He doesn't really point it out as doing so, but that's what he's doing. So if, if, that's, if that's the claim that, that you don't have a right to, to say if you're not willing to step up and, and take care of the kids, how, how could you draw that out to a level of absurdity? Right, which is absurd, right? That's exactly what he did. He said, "Imagine how bizarre it would be to, or how bizarre it would sound to argue, you have no right to stop me from beating my wife unless you're willing to marry her." Huh? <laughs> right. The the point is that the perpetrator isn't off the hook for the offense just because because others won't step in and to replace his role as husband. That that is that is nonsensical um, and and not the 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 point at all. That's a fallacy. So what was the second assertion that was that was it, it was more implied. It's kind of implicit, so it's a little trickier. But what was the second assertion? That pro-lifers are taking some responsibility for the children that are being born to those who are not authority. That's really the premise of the, the, the overall statement, right? Is, is you guys aren't doing anything, therefore you shouldn't say, you shouldn't have much to say about what is being done. Um, so the claim that pro-lifers were not doing anything for pregnant women carrying to term is, is basically the underlying implication here. but. The, the student felt justified in criticizing the pro-life movement because they were appealing to bad facts, to inaccurate information. So um, once we've got the claims kind of isolated, then we can move on to, to step two, which you know is, is basically what we're saying here. Are those claims factually accurate, that, that pro-lifers aren't doing anything to care for crisis pregnancies? Um, and sometimes this can take a, a, a little bit of investigation. So who's got, a, who's got some kind of search engine on their phone right now? Hopefully more than one of you. Whoever, whoever can feel like they can search, uh, pull out your phones and Google or whatever your preferred uh, search engine is. Uh, how many pro-life pregnancy centers are there? And see what you get. And then I'll read you a quote that I found when I plugged it in. But it was some like eight million and some views, or I mean, uh, hits within a point three seconds. Whatever you want to do, you can go national, international. Just pull up some data on the fly. All right, so you rattle that off. Say that again one more time. Read that. Uh, it's just a headline. No, that's fine. Just read the headline. Uh, but pro-life 
2,700 to 739. And you didn't even open the article. You just looked at a headline. It couldn't, it, maybe it's not a credible source, maybe, you know, there's lots of things that could be said, but the point here is that on the fly, you can kind of spot check something. Like, ah, I don't know, is that true? And right away, you know, mm, there might be a little bit more digging here that we, that we may need to do. So, um, I, I found a link, it was, uh, it was for uh, Religion Unplugged. And here, I grabbed a quote from it, and now I, I'm not familiar with this institute, so if I, if I butcher this name, you guys forgive me if somebody's familiar, but it says, quote, a recent study by the Charlotte Logier Institute pointed out that a, a, a better, pointed out that better women's service providers, they put that in quotes, outnumbered Planned Parenthood clinics by a ratio of 14 to 1. Planned Parenthood is the nation's largest abortion provider. It found that there are over 8,000 such providers, including federally qualified health centers and private pregnancy help centers in comparison to the estimated 558 Planned Parenthood clinics in the country. So, you know, depending on whose facts or, or, or what source we're reading, uh, maybe the numbers are slightly different. Who knows how they're carving that out? But there, there seems to be something to this idea that there are many more um, uh, pregnancy crisis clinics than, than there are abortion clinics. You know, so, and then if you dig deeper on that, you'll find that uh, most of them have their, their, their founding in some kind of Christian organization or, or based on some kind of Christian principle. Not necessarily always, but usually. And if that, if that comes up, you can list three or four in Clark County alone. Well, that was going to be my next, that was going to be my next question is, is whoever was quick with their fingers, zero in on just Washington or, or, or somebody see what you can find for, for Clark County. What, what I found, I found a, a crisis pregnancy center map and, and I've got the link here. Uh, you know, I can't confirm that this is accurate, but it says that there are 46 locations just in Washington. So, you know, in terms of that, that person's assertion, um, I, there seems to be something uh, that runs counter to the idea. Somebody's doing something to care for these, these pregnant ladies. Um, what'd you find on Clark County, James? In the fact that pregnancy crisis centers not only help the pregnant woman, uh -huh. they help abortion recovery. Yep. Women. They're, they're nurturing and helping women in general. They're not just selecting who to help. They're willing to help pro-abortion crisis as well as pregnant mamas who are having trouble uh, providing for the children because there's, uh, there's counseling and there's provision. And at no cost. And at no cost, right. Yeah. Say again, Mike. They're not funded by the government. Not funded by the government. And, and because so do you get an answer? I see eight between here and Castle Rock. So eight. Down to pathways in Kansas and a little to Portland, like eight within an hour drive. Eight within an hour. So there, there are resources, and we can see the, those Christian principles shining through. To your point, Julie, they don't, somebody doesn't walk in and, they, and say, oh, I've had an abortion. They say, well, get out of here, you know. No, our doors are open. What can we do? And, you know, to the point you guys were making, it's not just the mothers, whether they're carrying to term or whether they've aborted, but if the child does make it, they help with diapers, they help with, with, with food and, and, and parental coaching and training, etc. So, or even adoption. 
even adoption. So th this idea simply isn't true. It's based on bad facts. That assertion is based on bad, bad facts. So, uh, all right, so here I had a practice challenge and it's actually the, the violence one that you guys were already kicking around. More, quote, more wars have been fought and more blood has been shed in the name of religion than any other cause. That's basically what Ron was saying, right? Just for anybody that doesn't know Ron Adams, he is a... Um, uh, a residential general contractor kind of uh, guy that um, you know does a really good job but doesn't doesn't present himself extremely well or, or polished but when it comes to to that wood I call him the wood wizard you know he can <laughs> he knows his way around that wood but uh, he doesn't always strike you as the most credible source um, anyways doesn't mean that he doesn't have uh, thoughts and ideas and opinions and information and assertions so um, basically religion's the greatest source of evil in the world were you gonna say something oh um, that's that's the idea so what's our first step this ain't trick questions it's the same answer so many questions about that you're trying to identify the claim, right? That's step one. That's what I want you to get. So this one's a perfect example of a, of a challenge being to Christianity being based on, on bad information. So, yeah, James said there's so much here, and that's, that's absolutely right. So uh, this is... Go ahead, Mike. So my first question is, is he lumping Christianity with religion? Yeah. Because we need to differentiate the fact yeah. that what I believe is very different than what the world is seeing. Yes, that's right. And what you're doing there is sniffing out a straw man, whether they realize it or not. But they may be accusing you of holding a belief you don't actually hold. Well, unbelievers are not discerning. Right. They, they cannot tell the difference between Christianity and other religions, Buddhism, or that's exactly right. Whatever it might be, and so. My first job is to help them realize that there is a difference. Yes. And that religion in and of itself is not all clumped into the same basket. There is a difference. That's right. Just like money is money around the world, but the American dollar is different from all of the other currencies. That's right. Go ahead. Uh, I might try to get them to be a little more specific about what Mm, we, we talked about this several weeks ago. What, what exactly is evil? What do you mean when you say it? Yeah, I mean, it comes from many sources that I'm wondering this person might have a bad experience. This is excellent because this, this is what's going on. It's discernment. We're just trying to figure out where they have their pieces positioned on the chessboard because every person you, you talk to, I mean even to Mike's point, whether you talk to a Buddhist or, or a Mormon, just because you've talked to another one in the past or you're related to one or you live next door to one and you're familiar with that person's views doesn't mean you can impose them on, on the next person. They, they might have a more liberal take. That's like saying we know that there's no two Christians have the exact same theology, right? It just theology is almost like snowflakes. You know, a lot of it can be really the same, but if you spend enough talk, time talking, you'll find some, some, you know, some tweaks and some differences uh, between the two of you, and the same thing is true for other religions also. So where exactly is this person coming from? That's the point, and, and you guys are raising excellent, excellent, I'm sorry, excellent discernment principles and questions. So if we, if we set the accuracy aside for a second, um, because we know that, that that just simply, we know it isn't true, but but the 
well, the claim is uh, that religion has caused more violence and death than anything else in the world. So, we, you all right? Yeah. That was you? Yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> you, never mind, whatever. Um, all right, so we, you guys touched on this already, so I'm sorry, but this is what you guys were doing. But I, I have it, right here I have tip. You might consider using Columbo to confirm with your audience that you understand the, their point by simply asking, are you claiming that religion is the world's largest cause of death and violence? If they say yes, then you might move to where Mike was. Well, when you say religion, what do you mean by that? And now we're back to defining terms, etc. Because we're trying to keep this conversation on track so that it doesn't spin out of control. So if the claim is not explicit, um, this one kind of is, but, but again, don't assume that you understand. Don't just charge right in with, with your response because what's really important is that if you're trying to help this person bring a little clarity to their thinking, um, then it's important to make sure you're meeting them where they are and you're addressing whatever is bound up in their heart. And it, it may not be the same thing. You know, Maybe you've talked to five people this week about the same question. Fine, but still take the time with this individual to figure out where they're coming from because everybody is, is unique. Um, Alright, so even if this claim were true, which it's not, it's not entirely clear what conclusions about religion are justified from the data. Uh, this is something that, that Greg really harps on in the book and I think he's absolutely right. Um, this could be an example of the claim um, well, something I was touching on earlier. This could be an example of the claim prematurely exposing the larger argument that perhaps a loving God can't exist because there's evil in the world, right? But you might, you might see that's where this is trying to go. They're trying to take this by the questions they're asking you up front, right? Um, and that's going to help kind of maybe tailor your answer if you, if you sense that ultimately that's what their hang-up or, or their snag is. So it doesn't mean you can always see behind the curtain, but, but you know, try. Try to be discerning if, if possible. So anyways, Greg's point was you couldn't properly conclude, for example, that God does not exist or that Jesus was not the Savior simply by citing acts of violence done in the name of God or Christ. So even, even, if, even if this wasn't wrong... Um, let's just say it was it was right. What is that? How does that undermine that Jesus was the Christ? That Jesus was God in the flesh? We might have a lot of other things to talk about, but but how does that argument add up to Jesus wasn't God? Cause, right. Because even if I mean, kind of building on that, even if that claim was true, looking at the numbers, at least from the big things I'm thinking of, uh -huh. Christianity isn't in like the top three religions that have caused death. Like, right. You're looking at atheism thinking, you know, the Holocaust, thinking World War II, arguably World War II, they might say World War yep. II was because of yep. Christian, you know, Russia and the gulags and China, the revolution and everything in Southeast Asia. Atheism's got to be number one, probably followed by Islam, number two, and then Christianity. So even if the claim that more people have died from wars that were based in religion than natural death or planets or anything, Christianity doesn't even place in the top. I, I've been just spitballing. I'm just no, no, you're just spitballing. This is perfect. You are executing the second step. Is this information factual? Like, what is the claim and is that correct? So, uh, one sec, Mike. So, even if the claim were true, uh, this, this whole religion causes evil thing, um, that only tells us something about people. It doesn't really tell us anything about God or, or, or certainly not Christ. Mike, what were you going to say? Well, in the earlier generations, all... 
all peoples were religious. Yes. And their, their wars were fought, uh, you know, one guy might have wanted the property that this other nation had, uh, but they would always fight their war in the name of their gods because they were national gods. Mm -hmm. You know, the gods of the Canaanites or the gods of the Romans or whoever it is, we always take our gods to war with us because we want their support. And so historically, we always see religion involved in all of these wars because man realizes he has to justify his aggression in some way. Right. The problem is man's problem. Right. The problem's with man. And from the bigger perspective, we have to realize that the Bible tells us that in the beginning, the war began when Satan rebelled against God. And that war is still going on. Still raging. It's manifesting itself in mankind. And so there is a sense in which they are correct. Yep. But is it justified? But then you get into to the, to modernity and you're moving into the 20th, 21st century and, and what James is saying is true. So much has been done in, in, in the name of essentially from regimes that were atheistic and they're not even invoking God. And, and that's, to James's point, that's where we see the, 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 the most evil. So, so James, thank you. We're, we're executing on step two. Is the claim factually accurate? No. Religion has not caused more wars and bloodshed than any other source in the world. But but Julie was hitting on it easier. It's uh, earlier. It's really easy to characterize religion that way. Well, it's just this bloodthirsty enterprise, right? Um, looking to conquer and control people, whether it's witch hunts or crusades or jihad with the Muslims, etc. But the fact of history is that, that to Mike's point, that the greatest and, and James really, the greatest evil has always resulted from a denial of God, not pursuit of Him. So Dennis Prager had a quote that that Greg used. In the 20th century alone, more, pe more innocent people have been murdered, tortured, and enslaved by secular ideologies, Nazism and Communism, than by all religions in history. That's Dennis Prager. So, Greg says, alright, well grab a, this is, this is what he referenced, grab an older copy of the Guinness Book of World Records and turn to the category Judicial Subheadings, or to the category Judicial, and then the subheading Crimes, Mass Killings. And I, I didn't grab Guinness Book of World Records, I just pulled it up on, uh, on the internet, and I was able to find the information. But you'll find that the carnage of unimaginable proportions resulted not from religion, but from institutionalized atheism. So over 66 million wiped out. Um, uh, primarily under Lenin and Stalin, uh, between 32 and 61 million Chinese killed under the communist regime since 1949. Uh, you get into some of the Southeast Asia stuff, 2.7 million people were killed between 1975 and 1979 in the Cambodia area under communism. You know, when you start adding all of that up, the Crusades and stuff is just like this little blip. Um, but the, the point is that the, the greatest evil has not resulted from people zealous for God. It, it's resulted when people are convinced there is no God that they must answer to. That's, that's where we see problems. Now I'm very interested in the conversation with this individual. How do they respond to, to that kind of a, of a point? Um, and, you know, anyways, this is where you're praying hard and trying to sense where the Spirit's leading you, etc. But, but, you know, you can, by, by assessing it and, and, and being aware and then invoking some facts, you can really keep that conversation grounded into the space and the arena that, that it needs to be in. So, a few things on dealing with the facts. 
Uh, when citing factual information in your defense, precise numbers are always more persuasive than general figures. All right, so as apologists, we want to be persuasive, right? Um, exactness is an important element in this tactic, the just the facts, ma'am, tactic. Because of, of that principle of persuasion, it's, it's kind of foundational. So notice that the facts were, were precise, but without being cumbersome. We, we, we gave a few names. We gave some specific numbers. We gave some specific date ranges. These things add credibility. Um, so... You know, just, just remember that, that the precise numbers or specific facts, are, they're going to be more persuasive than general figures. So you don't have to be an expert on, on everything, but, but as you start to wrestle with some of these ideas, maybe committing some of this to memory and, and carrying those facts around with you um, uh, can be useful. Something that I've learned to start doing, because the internet is so vast, just because you found it once, I've found that <laughs> I can't always find it again. Um, so I've started doing cutting and pasting things, or I'll take screenshots and I'll have apologetics and theological folders in my camera roll to where, you know, there's a quote or there's a set of facts or whatever, and I'll just screenshot that and I'll save it in the folder. And, and then if I'm in a conversation, I'm, I'm pulling up my phone, I just scroll, and within a few clicks, I'm like, oh yeah, there's that quote, or there's that stat, or there's that fact, and I've, I've got it handy. And, and the more you do it, the more you find it's really a pretty small basket that you have to draw on because most everybody's making the same, you know, wonky assertions or the same old arguments. Uh, anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I actually do that too. I do have you? Look. You have a what? A notebook. A yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can, when you're creating that common ground or trying to create that safe space with the individual, sometimes pulling that notebook out and saying, oh, you know, that's a really good point, or I've never heard that question asked that way. You, you got the little cheat sheet? Documents and how old they are from class. Oh, cut that out and right there, yeah. Uh, and then as a backup, take a picture of it. Keep that in there, but take a picture because you'll look you'll look more astute by opening up your leather bound and pulling out your thing. That that'll that'll look much better. Um, he would. I do this about the questions and the answers and the passages screwed in the front few pages of my Bible. Yeah. So whatever works for you, but but the point is is keep your tools handy. Um, Something that Cooper hasn't brought out. I really believe that all of these arguments they don't care about at all. It's just a smokescreen. That's right. To keep you from talking about giving up their personal autonomy to this person named Jesus. Avoiding the reality that they are sinners separated from God in need of a Savior, and if they don't do something about it, like place their faith in Christ specifically, they're going to hell. And same is true and applied to us. It's just, you know, we placed our faith, they, they haven't. But that, yes, that is what they're trying to escape. That, that's what all suppression of the truth is about. You know, it, it's real simple. If there's a God, then he created you. If he created you, he wants something from you. And if you don't give it to him, there's going to be some price to pay for it. That's just real simple. So how do you undermine all of that? Well, there is no God. And they spend their whole life pursuing that, quote, truth. Um, or at least wanting to, uh, wanting to be confirmed in that. So, all right, so here's some examples of, uh, a couple examples of factual uh, precision. Uh, which of these two examples sounds more compelling? Thousands died in the terrorist attacks of 9-11, end quote. 
2,973 human beings were buried beneath the rubble of the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and a field in Pennsylvania on September 11, 2001. If two people are saying something, which one, which one already has been established as maybe being a little more credible? Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it, they didn't really say anything different. They just, it was a little bit more precise. The, the details add force. So 2,973, September 11th, 2001, uh, locations like World Trade Center, the Pentagon, a field in Pennsylvania. Here's, here's something else that I'll, I'll mention to advisors in training. Um, if you're going to say it, sell it. Not in a bad way. You're not manipulating anyone. But if you're going to bother opening your mouth about something, if it's important enough to mention, then make the point. Drive it home so that they own it and it's now part of their thinking and, and their, their own personal database. So if you're going to say it, sell it. And that includes the specific locations of the attacks, um, including the specific locations of the attacks, may take longer to say, but with the proper delivery, it's going to be much more compelling. Go ahead, James. I don't know if anyone's seen the ads for Grammar. I'm sorry. I promise it's relevant. But one of the ads is Gal's working and she gets a message from my boss saying we need double sales next week. And she starts saying, you know, I don't think that's possible. And then, oh, but Grammarly will make you sound more confident. We can definitely do that. So it's a segue because yes. one of my siblings is extremely confident in everything he says, whether or not he's right, whether or not he knows he's right. Everything he says sounds like he's absolutely sure. And I think we need to be confident as we can, but also not say everything with a full level of confidence. And it was about 3,000 people that died from, you know, like you don't have to have the full thing and have an accurate level of confidence in how you say it. Mm -hmm. It's how certain you are of the definite of the fact. And I tend to back off a little too. He's like, I could be wrong. I think it was about this many. And I think it was Pennsylvania. But I'm 10 more that way. But I think that that's better than always coming across as overconfident. I'm no. absolutely, yeah, I know it all. That, nobody likes to know it all. Right. So having a bit more of a humble approach, and you're not saying everything completely confidently, but balancing your confidence level with how sure you are. Yes, and always reading the individual. I'm sorry, go ahead, Julie. You can look like a steamroller. Right. If you're just asserting all these facts and, and not be not give the reason and impression that you're willing to listen to their side. Like me answering, Ryan was saying, you know, yeah, the Crusades killed a lot of people and there's, you know, they, people have bombed a bomb, you know, bombed abortion clinics, but uh, my assertion would be those weren't true believers. They were misunderstanding the gospel. Mm -hmm. You know, that's redefining what a Christian is, but it's also giving them, you know, throwing them a bone because you don't want to make this strong assertion back because it becomes an argument. Because at the end of the day, you guys are making excellent, excellent points. At the end of the day, everything's about relationship, right? right. What, you're trying to, what you're trying to persuade them on is, is not that your arguments are, are, well, better. I mean, I guess you are trying to do that, but it's not, it's not about that at all. Jesus isn't an argument to be reasoned or engaged. He's a person to know personally, right? So, it requires that safe space of having the relationship so that maybe they can consider the ideas. But if, if you come off as just kind of condescending or you're just more concerned about being right than, than you are helping them understand more about Jesus, um, that, you know, that doesn't bode all that well. Man, you guys with the hand raising, you've been doing this with me long enough. It is like double dutch. You just jump in the thing. Just jump in, girl. <laughs> what? This makes up for her spokenness. Okay, all right, all right. Because that's probably fair. I wouldn't even, I just, I'd steamroll you. I wouldn't even hear you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I always think that 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let us reason together, like as Paul would say. Yeah. Right. Nobody likes the, the been there, done that, got the t-shirt guy. Right. That's not the person you're wanting to, even if they do know everything and they're walking encyclopedia, from a relational standpoint, may not be the person I want to choose to help me reason through some of these things. So, all right. So if two people, example number two. If two people are uh, provided these opposing views, which one sounds more authoritative? Uh, the founding fathers of our republic were not Christians, they were deists. Or the opposing view, the phrase founding fathers is a proper noun which refers to a specific group of people, the delegates to the Constitutional Convention. There were 55 of them and their denominational affiliations were a matter of public record. So we know that among the delegates were 28 Episcopalians, 8 Presbyterians, 7 con uh, Congregationalists, 2 Lutherans, 2 Dutch Reformed, 2 Methodists, 2 Roman Catholics, 1 Unknown, and only 3 Deists, Williamson, Wilson, and Franklin. And this was at a time in history when church membership usually entailed a sworn adherence to strict doctrinal uh, creeds. This means that 51 of 55, or 93% of the founding fathers, were in today's terms, evangelical Christians. Now, to your guys' point, you might want to soften some of that. Right? You might want to soften some of that. Because that's, that's really kind of a, you're looking for, you're looking for a conversation. A little bit, almost. That could be delivered in love. You know, maybe you don't just rattle them off all that fast, but that's more of kind of a drop the mic sort of a statement. You know, like, it's kind of like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like, um, and that's not the way you want to come off, but, but what, I'm, what I'm and what Greg really is wanting you to, to get out of this is the persuasion of the facts, the, the, the credibility that it lends to the, to the argument or the reasons being provided. So if somebody just casually... Um, you know, says that all of our founding fathers weren't Christians, they were deists. Uh, I, I remember sitting in uh, a debate somewhere, it was in Houston, some, some local church was hosting a couple of guys, I, I can't even remember, it was, it was just something to do, so I went. And, and this guy gets up there and makes this assertion that um, basically the writers of the, of the New Testament were just kind of these... Uh, you know, these, these poor peasants in, in, in sandals and in tunics that, you know, really didn't know anything from, from a hole in the ground. And I'm like, are you going to check this guy? Like, are you going to give him Paul's credentials? Are you going to remind him that Luke was a doctor? Are you going to, you know, and the guy didn't. And I'm like, oh, like everything inside of me was raging. Like, I just wanted to stand up on the pew and be like, hold on, time out. <laughs> it, because every there were so many people in that audience and it's like they're, they're going to walk out of here thinking that that was a good point or that that point stands and it does not stand um, but you know I, maybe the guy was crafting another argument maybe it was better so I just kept my mouth shut and let it slide but uh, in my assessment where he took it wasn't better and he should not have let it stand but anyways you'll, you'll, you'll see this kind of stuff um, all right, so in summary, um, oh, uh, there was something important that I know I left out of the notes that I wanted to make sure I touched on. Oh, it, what's that? Giving them the gospel? No, no, no step three, unless you want to say give them the gospel. Um, no, I wanted to press into this, um, this idea of 
even if you don't know all the facts, you, you can normally catch hyperbole or exaggeration or, or inaccurate information. Um, you know, I was, I was walking through one example that Greg gives in the book with the, with the boys on, um, what did he say, something about a dentist saying, uh, I've, given, I've filled 500,000 uh, cavities in my 20-year career. And um, Greg doesn't really break down the, the data on that. He just goes, if you just stop and think about that for a minute, you, you know it's not true. So me and the boys had the calculator out and we were, we were doing the math. We we're like, okay, well, well, you know, how many hours a week do we assume the dentist works? Uh, okay, 40. Uh, does he ever take any vacations? No, let's just assume he works all 52 weeks of the year, so on and so forth. And um, anyways, what did we get it down to? It was like something like 12, 13 cavities a day that he has to do and that's as you know that's assuming he would have had to have been that good at, at the day one of his career over the 20 years chances are you haven't done half a million cavities in, in 20 years I'm just guessing because that means that you did nothing else you never ate a lunch you never had a staff meeting you never you know you didn't do you didn't do anything else you were just a, a cavity filling machine all right so just the facts ma'am is made up of two basic ingredients awareness and facts so first be aware that many challenges are based on bad information that's not always true but it's not uncommon and second if you know the facts you can typically beat the objection all right and then the tactic has two steps identify the claim and then investigate the facts and and, and never ever ever forget that the primary thing is the relationship so surf that wave based on how the Spirit's leading you and what seems most appropriate for that individual, that personality, in that moment, at, at, at that time, uh, and, and be obedient to the Spirit. And even if you know the right answer or you can, you can dunk them on the facts, if, if the Spirit's telling you, be gentle, be gentle, don't do that. Um, uh, sometimes, and I'm not great at this, you know, like I'm, I'm the guy that I'm getting better, pray for me. But especially in my past, I'm the guy that, you know, I see some seed has been thrown out or I toss a little out and I notice, oh, that kind of hit some hard soil. I'm over there stomping on the seed, trying to get it in the ground. Like, we're going to get the seed in the ground. That has blown up in my face many times. I, I still regret it. Uh, there are many interactions and encounters that I wish I could get back, and, and I can't. The only thing you can do is, is pray and try to get better moving forward. But um, it's about the individual, it's about the relationship, and it's about them coming to understand how they can have a, a personal relationship with Christ on their own. Go ahead, Julie. And sometimes that means just letting them state how they feel. Yep. And letting them unload their gun. Yes. Every time when I'm talking to Dale in hyperbole because I'm upset. Mm -hmm. And he says, wait a minute, that's not actually true. And I said, facts don't matter. That's <laughs> <laughs> how I feel. Let's unravel it another time. But I'm I thought I thought she was gonna tell me how good you are and like how you just look at her and smile and let it let it pass. Oh no, he's he's Pulling the walls down. He still does it. All right, real quick. This is silly, but has has anybody ever seen the "It's Not About the Nails" skit? <laughs> oh man, I was so oh, offended by that. You were offended by. <laughs> Alright, hold on. Before we laugh and kick it around, I see uh, there were a few that lit up. There were a few blank stares. Have you not seen that it's, it's not about the nail? Alright, so all it is, it's this little YouTube skit, and it's this husband and wife. They're sitting on a couch together, and, and she's sharing how she's feeling, and she's, her head's hurting. And she's got this big, massive nail sticking out of her forehead, right? 
and he's trying to like kind of sit on his hands and be quiet as she's telling him how she feels and you know and he's like well honey um it might be because there's a nail sticking out of your forehead and she's like it's not about the nail you know like I just my head just hurts so bad and she goes right back into her feelings <laughs> and, yeah. anyways if, if you're bored and you're surfing around on the internet uh, look up it's not about the nail it's it's offensive Julie says yeah, I, I can laugh at it but it was so offensive when he spoke to me and I said See, you don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Julie's point is absolutely correct. Maybe sometimes the best thing to do is just let them vent about whatever it is. Maybe they just had a bad experience with a Christian. Maybe they just came out of a bad church experience where they were trying. Who, who knows? So, so be careful not to drop the mic on them. Be careful not to steamroll them as, as the Christian. Always focus on the relationship. I digress. Go ahead. Uh huh. It's interesting to me because all I have to do is listen, and she will talk her way to the solution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not doing Most people do because it's just when it's boiling in your head. You're and then you have an opportunity to say, that, that is so wise. You are so wise. Right. As opposed to saying, hey, stupid, here's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes just mirroring, somebody says something, and you just repeat it back and say, such and such, huh? And, and that, all of a sudden, there, you know, you can see them go like, oh, now that you say that back to me, that does sound a little, well, let me refine these thoughts a little more. And yeah, just letting them talk. Um, so, you know, sometimes that's not exactly the ministry of silence, but, but it's in that same vein. I'd say it lives in that neighborhood. So yeah, sometimes the best thing to do is just let them talk. Um, you know, again, you don't, you don't have to close the deal every apologetic in, encounter. So don't, don't feel the need to carry that burden. In all truth, he has said, I'm really sorry you have a headache. There has been times. I've, I've learned, Allie's taught me that, that I will never fail with the response, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance or context. If I say it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, then that's, those are the magic words. <laughs> All right, somebody want to close this out in prayer? Sure. James? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time we have to discuss and to grow in our knowledge of you and knowledge of how to, how to share you with others and fulfill this great commission that we have. I pray for this next week that you will give us all an opportunity to, to share with someone, to listen to someone, to, to be a friend for someone who needs a friend, uh, who ultimately needs you as, as their best friend, and ask that we may uh, be quick to refer you to them, and that we, we may be a, a sign on their path that points them to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, James.